I love that song, Jesus is the answer. I love that song. That's a beautiful song. Uh, I just learned this morning that that song was written the year I was born, in 1973, and a uh, wonderful connection. If, if you were born in 1973, then the Latter Fellowship is for you. Um, good morning, New Life. What a gift to be here with you. Uh, my wife, Sophia, and I have been a part of New Life for about 18 months now, which means that there's many of you that I haven't had a chance to, to meet. And so afterwards, uh, I'll be downstairs with some of the pastors, and if we've not had the chance to connect, I'd love to meet you and greet you and get a chance to know you a little bit. As uh, Pastor Jackie said, Pastor Rich is at New Life East, and so it's my pleasure to be with you. A uh, special welcome to those who are joining us online, whether you're at newlife.nyc or Facebook or YouTube. We're so glad that you're here. Recently, I was spending time with somebody I love, and that's important. I love this person. And, uh, and we were talking, and I talked about God, which wasn't a surprise to him, and he asked me a rather pointed question. He said, what's the point of being a Christian? And I wonder if somebody that you love has ever asked you that question. Or, or I wonder if you've ever asked that question yourself. And you've wrestled with, what, 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 am, what am I doing? What are we doing? Why do we come to church? What's the point of being a Christian? And so today, as we finish our series on Colossians, that's going to be what we, I want to talk to us about today. That's what we're going to re reflect on, is what's the purpose? What's the point of being a Christian? Now, Pastor Rich invited us to read at least part of Colossians every day as we've gone through this series. And, and I don't know if you've been doing this, I confess I haven't done it every day, but uh, it's been a rich thing for us. And, and Pastor Rich's point was not that we would get into Colossians, but that Colossians would get into us. Amen? And, and that is because Colossians is a book about the supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus. And we need the supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus because we live in a, in a world fueled by anxiety and want, don't we? Like we need the supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus because we're New Yorkers. Fear is our life. We need the supremacy and, and sufficiency of Jesus because we live in a world of anxiety. Uh, biblical scholar Sylvia Keyes Mott described our world in these words. She said, we live in an image-saturated world, a world of ubiquitous corporate logos, permeating our consciousness, a world of dehydrated and captive imaginations in which we are too numbed, distracted, and co-opted to even dream of a world otherwise. Whew. And that's the world that we live in. And what's happening in us in this series is that through Colossians, Jesus is, is, re, is reshaping our imagination. Jesus is helping us to learn to live in the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus. And that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And so we've been using these P's to kind of work through and summarize each part of the, of the book for us. And in the prologue, we encountered 
grace and peace. We need grace and peace, don't we? If you were giving out red envelopes yesterday, you need grace and peace. If you were receiving red envelopes yesterday, you need grace and peace. If you get up, when you get up in the morning and you, you deal with, with a, a spouse or a, or a family member, you need grace and peace. When you get on the subway, you need grace and peace. When your team is down seven points and it's the third quarter, you need grace and peace. When you try to figure out how to live in, in a city that feels like ashes as Valentine's Day and Ash Wednesday come together and you're wrestling with your own loneliness, you need grace and you need peace. And Paul moves from grace and peace. Imagine what, your, what our lives would be like if, if we were marked, if our first word was grace and peace. And then Paul moves from, uh, from prologue to prayer. And we've been praying for each other, haven't we? I hope we have. And we've been praying that God would fill us with all wisdom, with the knowledge of his will. We're, we're praying for the spiritual wisdom and understanding so our lives can be full and can be fruitful. Does anybody need more full and fruitful lives? Amen. Right? And we're asking for spiritual wisdom and we're praying for God's strength so that we can have the patience to endure. Sometimes enduring is, the, is, is exactly what's called for. Sometimes the best we can do is endure. And we need God's strength to endure. And then Paul's uh, pr prayer goes on to poetry. I love this portion. The next portion of Colossians, it soars with the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus. Sylvia Kiesmott describes it this way. She kind of took Paul's poem and she modernized it and she used these words. She said, in this world, the same world of distracted and dehydrated imaginations, in this world, Christ is the image of the invisible God. He is the source of a liberated imagination because it all starts with him and it all ends with him. Everything, all things, whatever you can imagine, visible and invisible, mountains and atoms, outer space, urban space, and cyberspace, whether it be the Pentagon, Disneyland, Microsoft, or Apple, whether it be the institutionalized power structures of the state or the academy or the market, all things have been created by him and all things have been created through him. He is their source. He is their purpose. He is their goal, even in their rebellion even in their idolatry. Amen. He is the sovereign one. Can we just stand in awe for just a minute at the supremacy and the beauty and the sufficiency of Jesus? And then for poetry, we move on to a problem. The problem is that the Colossians were like us and that like us, the Colossians are tempted to believe that Jesus plus something else will equal a complete life, right? Jesus plus the right career will equal a complete life. Jesus plus a lot of money will equal a complete life. Jesus plus success will equal a complete life. And the problem is, when we start thinking that Jesus plus something else gives us a complete life, we start setting the wrong priorities. Because only Jesus can give us a complete life. Jesus is supreme and Jesus is sufficient. 
And when we prioritize the wrong things, that's what Pastor Helen was talking to us about. That's why Pastor Helen said, because Jesus is supreme and sufficient, in Jesus' kingdom, there is no place for hierarchy. There is no place for hierarchy. And then last week, we talked about perspective. And Pastor Rich, in a beautiful way, he invited us to set our minds on the God who has set his heart on us. I just thought that was beautiful. That, that we're called to set our minds over and over again on the God who has already positioned, already set his heart on us. And in this last week of our Colossians series, we're gonna talk about purpose. What's the point of being a Christian anyway? I love my friend who asked this question. I want him to experience the love and the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus. And maybe you're here at church this week and maybe you're wondering like, what's the point? Maybe you're going through something and, and you're going through life and you're experiencing life like a lot of people, like overwhelmed and difficult and you're experiencing challenges and you know you need something and the reason that you've come here today is because you think you desperate, there's a part of you that desperately thinks, well, maybe God will help. Maybe God can, can help and there's a part of you and there's a, that's, that's sort of asking, God, will you see me? Will you see me in this crowd? Will you pay attention to me? Will you pay attention to my needs? Will you help me in this crazy, overwhelming, uh, and difficult life and world? And if that's you, I want you to listen very careful, carefully to me for a moment. If that's you and that's how you've come to church today, listen, God sees you. God sees you. God knows you. God knows the desires of your heart. God knows what you need. God sees you. He sees all that's true about you. And today, God has a word for you. God has an invitation for you. God has a call for you this morning. So Holy Spirit, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, would you take these words and would you use them to speak life to your people in your power? Amen. Amen. Colossians 4, 2-6 says, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray for us as well that God will open up a window for the word that we, might that we may declare the mystery of Christ for which I am in prison. Pray that I will reveal it clearly as I should. Conduct yourselves wisely towards outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. What's the point of being a Christian? Colossians has uh, three practical answers for us this morning. And, and here they are in this, in this small section. And they are, the point, what's the point of being a Christian? It's three things. It's one, it's to grow in God's love through prayer. It's to show God's love in, through our practice. And it's to know God's love in Jesus. 
What's the point of being a Christian? It's to grow in God's love through prayer, to show God's love in practice, and to know God's love in Jesus. And that's what we're gonna focus on today. And that's how God is gonna invite us today. So firstly, how do we grow in in God's love through prayer? It's interesting, Paul began his letter to the Colossians by praying for them. We've, we just rehearsed that in our P's, right? He's praying for the Colossians. And then he ends this section of Colossians by inviting the Colossians to pray for him. And in doing that, he is completing a circle. He's, he's, he's saying, as I'm praying for you, so I want you to pray for me. We're to devote ourselves to prayer and keep alert in it with thanksgiving. Pray for us. Pray for me. Pray that we would reveal it clearly. Pray, pray, pray. There's something about prayer, isn't there? And I think, I think we know we need to pray because I'm a person of a certain generation. I would say we need to pray just to Make it today. Thank you, all the Gen Xers in the house feel strangely warmed and they don't know why. Uh, Right? We know we need to pray. My friend Brian, who's an atheist, he knows he needs to pray. He knows his day is better when he starts with a time of meditation. He calls it meditation, but it's also prayer. Right? We pray when we're overwhelmed. We pray when we're uh, scared. We, we pray when somebody cuts you off in traffic. Often the first words on your lips are the name of God. <laughs> Sometimes you don't always think of that as prayer, but there it is, right? We know we need to pray. In fact, uh, we, we, we know we need to pray when we face a difficult diagnosis or when we really, really want something that's important to us and we're longing for it. We pray. I I like to think of it as we have, as human beings, we have a prayer reflex, right? When when we're confronted in certain situations, prayer comes out. Your team is down three points. They're on the 30-yard line. It's the end of the fourth quarter. I'm acting like I know anything about football right now, right? And you're going to be praying for, who are you talking to? You're not talking to the quarterback. You're screaming at a television set. You're praying. There's a prayer reflex that's in you, that's in me. We have a prayer reflex. We know we need to pray. I discovered this prayer reflex uh, when, I, when my daughter, Malaya, is now an adult. She was three or four. I caught her praying. I sort of walked through the room where she was playing, and all of a sudden she stopped playing, and she looked up to the ceiling And she said, God, please help Papa. And my first thought was, my child is a spiritual giant. (laughs) And, and, you know, as I I started to walk out of the room, she prayed more earnestly. She's like, God, please help Papa. And I was like, oh, yeah, exactly. Papa, I love it. And then, uh, finally, she, she's like, God, please help Papa to listen to Malaya. <laughs> here, here's what I want us, to, here's what I want us to, to notice. That reflex to pray is really good. It's part of our humanity. It's part of what makes us human. That reflex to pray, it's a good thing but it's not enough. It's not enough. Prayer is to our life with God what breathing is to our physical life, right? 
That's why Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer. Because when we pray, when we devote ourselves to prayer, and when we're alert in prayer, and when we're thankful in prayer, and when we're purposeful in prayer, when we devote ourselves to prayer and we're experiencing it, then we're filled with the love and the presence of God. Right? And we, it's like breathing. We, we need to pray. We need to breathe. Now, here's what I know uh, about many of us. Many of us struggle with prayer, right? Anybody struggle with prayer? Feel like outing themselves? Okay, a couple of us. Here's, here's what I want you to know. If you struggle with prayer, grace and peace Imagine this. Imagine walking into a room where somebody you love, a child, a, a spouse, a, a neighbor, a coworker, somebody that you love, imagine walking into a room and finding them just gasping for breath, <gasps> you know, like struggling to breathe. Would you look at that person and say, looks like you're having trouble breathing. Try harder. Yeah. Of course not. <laughs> of course you wouldn't tell somebody who's struggling and gasping for breath to try harder, what would you do? You would go over to them and you would do everything you possibly could to open their airways so that they could let the air, let the oxygen, let the air that is all around them come in to them. Listen. In the same way, Paul's, when, when Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer, this is what he's not saying. He's not saying, try harder. What Paul is saying is, do everything that you can to open yourself to the love of God that is all around you. Just breathe, right? Just breathe. God's love is all around you. Just breathe, just breathe. Pay attention to it as much as you can. There's a beautiful prayer that I've been praying, I've been practicing for a, a little over a year now, every morning. It's an ancient prayer. It's a Hebrew prayer. It's called the Moda Ani. Some of you may know it. In Hebrew, it goes like this. Moda Ani Lafanecha. Melechai Vachayim. Shechechizarta bi nishmati bechemla Raba Munatecha. In English, it's, it says, I thank you, ever-living God, you have restored my soul, my breath, to me in mercy. Great is your faithfulness. Here's why I love this prayer, because this is the prayer that is meant to be said when you wake up first thing in the morning. Before you get out of bed, before you do anything, before you do anything right, and before you do anything wrong, before, just simply for opening up your eyes, you're noticing and thanking God that God's posture towards you is love, mercy, and blessing. And that's that prayer. Can we, can we say this prayer together? Let's, let's, let's say it together. I thank you, ever-living God. You have restored my soul, my breath to me in mercy. Great is your faithfulness. Let's do it again. I thank you, ever-living God. You have restored my soul, my breath to me in mercy. Great is your faithfulness. Let's do it one more time. I thank you, ever-living God. You have restored my soul, my breath to me in mercy. Great is your faithfulness. Just breathe. 
God's love is all around you. God's posture towards you is love. What's the point of being a Christian? It's to grow in the love of God as we open ourselves to God's love through prayer. It's to grow in God's love, but it's also to show God's love in our practice. In verse five, Paul says, conduct yourselves wisely towards outsiders. The literal uh, translation here is to walk in wisdom. That's literally, walk in wisdom towards outsiders is what Paul is saying. And it seems to be we need wisdom, don't we? <laughs> like, uh, the challenge for us, I think we know we need wisdom. I think the challenge for us is knowing where to get it. So the Colossians, they thought, some of the Colossians, they thought that the way to get more wisdom was to have spiritual experiences and to pursue these great spiritual experiences. And if they had the right kind of spiritual experience, then they'd have, then they'd have wisdom. And other Colossians thought, no, 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 it's not about that. It's about knowing more Bible. It's about knowing more scripture and practicing the Jewish law in the ways that had been practiced. If we just do it right, if we follow the law right, then we'll have wisdom. So which is it? Is it it more experience or is it doing it right according to the law? And Paul says, no. Wrong question. It's neither. He said, Paul said, spiritual experiences are wonderful. I hope you have great spiritual experiences. They're fantastic. Go ahead and do that. And, and the law of God, the law of God is beautiful. It is powerful. We should, we should immerse ourselves in it. Yeah, but, but it's not gonna give you wisdom. What Paul is saying is that you, you, they, these experiences are wonderful, but they're not necessary. What Paul is saying is walk together. Walk together and you'll have all the wisdom that you need. Walk together in the intention to show God's love to the people around you, and you will have the wisdom that you need. Paul, in other words, Paul isn't saying you, Rich, you walk in wisdom, and you, Sophia, you walk in wisdom, and you, you walk in wisdom. No, but what Paul is saying is you walk together. Walk together towards uh, towards outsiders. Walk together to try to, in a desire to bless outsiders, in a desire to show love and mercy and grace and peace, walk together. And as you walk together, you'll discover wisdom beyond yourself. I had this happen to me recently. Um, I, my, this week, my team that I lead was having meetings in Orlando. And uh, somebody had the bright idea of let's all go to our meetings early and we'll spend the day at Disney. Now, I'm curious, anybody like love Disney parks? Like a part of the Disney nation? Okay, like there's three of us, gotcha? Okay, uh, I, I confess, I am terrible at Disney. Like, I, I, I do Disney really, really badly. I, I, I don't know where anything is. Even if I've been to the park before, I don't know where anything is. I don't know what, what rides or attractions to go on. I always pick the longest possible line and I wait there forever. I spend too much money on food. I eat too much. I feel sick. I get tired of being around people and, and I overthink everything. I mean, that's, I mean, it's a small world ride and I'm overthinking all of the things. And I'm just, uh, I find myself miserable in the happiest place on earth. 
And then, and then I went to Disney with Mike and Annie. And Mike and Annie, well, all of a sudden, walking with Mike and Annie, I was zipping through the park like a Disney native. Like, I, 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 I shaved off hours of waiting in line. We found like the secret entrance that you go through to get to another part of the park without running into other people. And, like, there was like incredible things. Mike and Annie know how to pilot the Millennium Falcon in such a way that Chewbacca literally greets you as you leave. Like this is, this is us with Chewbacca, like living our best possible Disney life. Um, when I was walking through Disney with Annie and Mike, I was walking in some serious Disney wisdom, right? Now, I couldn't help thinking that a lot of people walk through life like I walk through Disney. Like we're overwhelmed and we're frustrated and we're, we're anxious and, and we need wisdom, don't we? And we need wisdom to deal with the loneliness of the city and we need wisdom for the desperate demands on our attention, right? Anybody else overwhelmed by the desperate demands on your attention? We need wisdom for this. We need wisdom for the complex political realities that we live in. How do you live as a sensitive human being in the midst of a world in which violence and war and children are displaced and killed and hurt? How do you live and maintain a We need wisdom for how do we do that? How do we live in the midst of political dysfunction in our culture? How do we live in this world? We need wisdom. How do we heal hurting relationships, whether between our families or between our neighbors? We need wisdom. What's the point of being a Christian? The point of being a Christian is to grow in awareness of the love of God that is all around us, but it's also to show the love of God by, walk it, by walking together. I love the words of Bonhoeffer here on the screen. He says, the church is not a religious community of worshipers, but of Christ. But is Christ, of worshipers of Christ, but is Christ himself who has taken form among his people. Here's the, here's the thing. When we walk together, we show the love of God in the way that we show up for each other. This is why uh, at church we do emotionally healthy relationships, emotionally healthy spirituality. This is why we're getting together in groups to, to study the character of God. This is why we have latter rain fellowship. This is why we have young adult fellowship. This is why we have the opportunities that we have to connect in groups because we can show the love of God by showing in the ways that we show up together. We walk in wisdom as we walk Amen. together. So we know the love of God. We, we, we grow in the love of God through prayer. We show the love of God as we walk. And finally, what's the point of being a Christian? It's to know the love of God. The purpose in growing in God's love and in showing God's love is to know God's love. I want to say that again because I like the sound of it. The purpose of growing in God's love and showing God's love is so we can know God's love. I want to know God. I want to know the love of God. Paul said, says, pray for us as well. Right in the middle, he says, pray for us as well that, we, that God will open a door for the word 
that we may declare the mystery of Christ for which I'm in prison so that I may reveal it clearly as I should. Paul's purpose, Paul's pointing to right between prayer that helps us to know God's love and practice which helps us to show God's love is the mystery of Christ, the purpose for which these things were were called to do these things. It's to reveal the mystery of Christ. Now, some of you are wondering, what's the mystery of Christ? I'm so glad you asked. The mystery of Christ is a callback uh, to chapter 1, verses 15 to 23, the mystery, where Paul talks about the mystery of Christ, where he says Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The mystery of Christ is that God, you want to know what God is like? He's like Jesus. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Listen, this is important for all of us to get our heads around because many of us have distorted pictures of who God, what God is like. That's why we're doing a whole sermon series on this. I'll tell you a story about myself. Uh, I, was, I was rejected pretty hard by my dad growing up. Uh, my dad once publicly disowned me, stood up in front of a group of our family members and pointed to a, a brother of mine who'd attempted to seriously hurt me on more than one occasion, and he pointed to that brother, that stepbrother, who was no blood relation to him, and said to him, you are more my son than any of my own kids. Because my dad had rejected me so deeply, I didn't consciously think it, I didn't logically connect the dots, but somewhere in this area, there was a connection that was made. If my own father rejects me, how can God, how can God love me? How can God accept me? How can God's posture to me be love and blessing? But what Paul says, the mystery of Christ needs to be revealed. What's the mystery of Christ? You want to know what God is like? You want to know God's posture to you? God's posture is not that of a distant father or a rejecting father or a disciplinarian or a violent, aloof figure. God is the one who in Jesus stretches his own flesh between heaven and earth to reconcile earth and heaven. God has already given all of himself to you. He has held nothing back from you. He has exposed all of himself simply to reconcile you to God. God, Jesus has done everything necessary for you to be accepted and embraced and known and loved by God. God's love is all around you. No matter what we think, no matter what what experiences we've been through, God's posture towards you is love and blessing. What is the mystery of Christ? Well, it's also a callback to chapter 1, verses 26 to 27, where Paul says that the mystery of Christ is Christ in you. And when he says Christ in you, he's not talking about Christ in you, Sophia. He says Christ in you, the community. And when he says Christ is in you, the community, he has a very particular community in mind. He's talking about you, the Gentiles. Now this is super important because when Paul says Christ is in you, the Gentiles, what he is saying is that Christ is for all people. 
Christ is not for the spiritually elite. Christ is not for the morally upright. Christ is not for the culturally powerful. Christ is for all of us. Christ is for you. Christ, Jesus comes not to, simply to the elite and to the moral, but Jesus comes to the marginalized. Jesus comes to the demonized. Jesus comes to the demoralized. Jesus comes to the ostracized. Jesus comes to the fetishized. Jesus comes to the immoral, and he comes to the unspiritual. Jesus is for you. And I'm so glad that Jesus is for you and the immoral and the unspiritual because that, Jesus is for me. I'll never forget the day where a friend who embodied the love of Jesus invited me to become a follower of Jesus in the midst of all of my immorality, in the midst of all of my weakness, in the midst of all of my dissonance, Jesus is, was for me, and Jesus is for you. What is the mystery of Christ? In its immediate context, this is a call to grow in God's love and prayer as we show God's love in practice. I love the words of Tom Skinner. I've, I'm improvising with his words a little bit, but I love the words of Tom Skinner who said, it has always been the will of God to saturate the common clay of a wounded and weary humanity and then send us as siblings into a hostile world to bear witness to the fact that it is possible for the invisible God to make himself visible in a human being, to make himself visible in a community. What is the mystery of Christ? The mystery of Christ is that it has always been God's will to, to saturate your common clay, to saturate our common clay as a community, and then send us out into a hostile world to show, the, to show all of the other people that God loves that it is possible for this invisible God to make himself visible in you. What's the point of being a Christian? The point is to grow in God's love through prayer. The point is to show God's love in practice. The point is to know the love and righteousness, the supremacy and the sufficiency of God. I love my friend who asked this question. And I promised at the beginning that there would be an invitation to you. And so I'm gonna... I'm gonna set up uh, an invitation. I'm gonna talk about the invitation and I want you to listen to me carefully here and then we're gonna worship and I'll come back and I'll, I'll actually make an invitation and a call. Listen, I love my friend. I want him to experience the sufficiency and supremacy of Jesus. I love this community. I want you to experience the love and the sufficiency and the supremacy of Jesus. And maybe you're here tonight and maybe you know you need something. Maybe some of you are here today and you are ashamed of something in your life. You're, you, you're wrestling with shame. You're, you're acting, you're walking in the wrong way. You're walking in, not in wisdom, but you're walking in a way that's leading to pain for you and for other people. And you know you need something. And you're, sh you're ashamed and you're struggling this is God's word to you. God says, you are forgiven. 
God says you are forgiven. And God is calling you to walk in, your, in forgiveness and freedom. Some of you have been striving in the spiritual life. Some of you have been striving and struggling. You've been white-knuckling your, spirit, your spiritual life, right? Trying to get it right. Because there's a part of you that believes, if I don't get it right, then I'm not going to be accepted. And God has a word for you. A call for you. God says, you don't have to strive anymore. God's posture towards you is love and mercy and forgiveness. And in Jesus, you don't have to strive anymore. Some of you are wondering, do I belong? If my own people rejected me, how could God accept me? God says to you, you belong because of Jesus. Some of you are walking with Jesus and God says to to you who are walking closely with Jesus who are being transformed by his sufficiency and supremacy, God is saying to you, you are called to grow in his love through prayer. You are called to show God's love in practice. God is calling you today. As we worship, I want you to have your heart and your mind open to ask this question, God, what is your word to me? What are you calling me to today. And then I'm going to give us an opportunity to respond after we've spent some time in musical worship. Let's stand in worship together. Response.